0: Isn't that great? I hope you uh, hope you've got a chance to meet Michelle. Uh, If you haven't, I know she'll be around today. But uh, tell her you're praying for her. I would love to have you continue to pray for her and her family. And uh, she's just fantastic. So uh, she is a member of our church. So um, be praying for her. And I want to thank Will and Shannon Johnson too for doing the filming and editing. They did a great job with that. So um, if we could pray first, right? Pray and. If I haven't said hello, I'm Chris. I'm the children's pastor, so you guys are stuck with me today. So uh, let me pray, and then uh, we'll get into our lesson, our sermon. God, thank you so much for uh, your faithfulness. Lord, we thank you that um, you are so good to us. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the faithfulness you've shown uh, throughout our lives, God, the faithfulness you've given to Michelle and her family. Lord, I pray for them, for strength, for courage. Uh, Lord, we pray um, that you would just continue to show yourself to them and to us, Lord. We look forward to 2018 and all the things that are happening, Lord. There's so much uh, going on around us. There's a lot going on in the church, Lord. We want to lift up just the new building um, as they're starting to to begin that. We want to pray for uh, the people, Lord, in and around our church, that we would continue to help them grow and that we would all together, Lord, as a community, as a family, uh, grow closer to you. And even as Michelle was just saying, Lord, just to learn that we're not in control, that you guide and lead and direct our path, that it's you that, that uh, direct, Lord, our steps uh, toward yourself. And so I thank you, God, that you do that, that you're a God that, that is so intimate with us that you would do that. And so give us a glimpse into that this morning. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right. I wanted to show that that video of Michelle because some of the things that she was talking about, just not being in control and allowing God to take you along these steps, that the things that happen are for a reason I think are are just important uh, toward what we're talking about today and just life in general. Um, Does anybody here like to fish? A couple of you guys like to fish? Okay, three or four of you. Um, No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I I only say that because I don't. Um, I don't like to fish at all. Uh, Not a fisherman at all. I'm way too impatient. I need like quicker results on things that I do. Um, I need a little bit more control. I don't like the idea of yielding uh, my day to the whims of a slimy fish because you could have, you know, the perfect spot, the perfect bait, the perfect fishing pole, all that kind of stuff and still not catch anything and I'm not okay with that. Um, You know, I mean, that's just a ruined day in my, in my, they're like, yeah, but you just like to be out there. No, I, I, know. Um... I need more activities that I can control. I love baseball and soccer. I would rather mow my lawn um, because I can control it. You know what I mean? I like to control outcomes. And so uh, perfect example of this, and, and I'm talking about fishing because Jesus and Peter today are going to go fishing. And so uh, we're going to take a look at that. But in the summer of 2000, my in-laws rented a beach cabin in Clearwater, Florida and uh, brought everybody out there. It was fantastic. Great vacation. And so one of those days, my, myself, my father-in-law, and my four brother-in-laws all went deep-sea fishing for red groupers like this. We had had it in some of the restaurants and stuff. Was very good fish. And uh, so we each spent $100. Uh, a couple of Russian guys load us up on this boat and drive us out to the, some fishing hole and, and give us poles, all that kind of stuff. And I managed to get there without puking, which was, which was a plus. But then in the first five minutes, uh, my brother-in-law, Tim, uh, pulled up this fat fish. I mean, it's fat red grouper. And uh, we're all very excited. You know, I'm thinking, you know, we're gonna eat this tonight for dinner, fresh fish, all that kind of stuff. So this 20-year-old or so Russian guy comes from the back of the boat, and he takes, takes the fish. He's like, go will weigh it for you, you know. He, he goes back, and he starts to, you know, weigh or measure the fish or whatever he's doing. And while he's gone, um, I pulled up a big old fish. You know, and I'm like, no way. You know, now I'm really excited because it wasn't just Tim, it's me. I've never caught a big old fish like that. And, and I'm just getting very excited for grilled fish and fish tacos and fish chowder, fish goulash, fish stroganoff, I mean, everything. We're just gonna, we're just gonna fish everything. You know, and um, soon enough, Comrade comes back out uh, with Tim's fish and walks over the side of the boat and just chucks it over the side. I couldn't believe it, man. I was just like ready to punch him. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, you know who are you colluding with? Is this Putin? are you with Putin? Is that what's happening here? You know, I just, you know, don't get mad because we won the Cold War, bro. You know, just, to, just our fish, you know, and eh, whatever. And the guy just said, if he dies, he dies. No, he, he, didn't, he didn't say that. He didn't say it, but he did say, he didn't say, he, he goes, it's too short, like that. And I'm like, come on, dude, you know, what's going on? That day, We caught, uh, we all between us, you know, I'm thinking, you know, an inch too short, it tastes the same, right? You know, I don't really care. He took, but during that time, he took mine away, and he's going to go measure it in the back, right? And uh, now I'm wanting to puke, and it's not from the seasickness, but um, we caught 13 fish that day, and uh, we didn't get to take any of them home. I know. But those commies got to take our 600 bucks home, I'll tell you that. Um... (laughs) I just, you know, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I've been to Russia. I love Russian folks. They're wonderful. Don't write me an email. Um, It's just, I'll just tell. It's all that to say, though. All that to say is I haven't been fishing since. It's not a very fun activity. And some of you guys are gonna sit out there. Yeah, you're not doing it right. I'm probably not. Okay. But anyway. But uh, today's story, though, is about Jesus and Peter. They're they're gonna go fishing. And it's this wonderful, fantastic encounter. It changes everything for Peter. It's, it's Jesus totally challenging Peter's assumptions about everything he thought he knew. It's, it's kind of these first steps. And that's kind of what our series is about. It's, uh, we're calling this series, just a brief one, uh, Baby Steps. It's just taking, what are some initial steps that we can take in the new year to, you know, take another Step in our walk with Christ. What what are some things that we need to do to draw ourselves closer to Christ? And so maybe you made a resolution um, to come to church. That's fantastic. Uh, Can I extend that resolution a little bit? Let's come on time Um, because it's hard when you don't check your kids in on time. And uh, anyway, just kidding. We always call it Southwind's time, you know, it's 10 minutes late. But um, But no, but if you made a resolution to come to church, that's fantastic. But maybe you made another resolution to, you know, do some other things spiritually in your life, to read your Bible every day, pray every day, to, to, you know, witness more, to give more, whatever it is. You know, those kinds of things. These are the little steps that it takes to to grow in your relationship with Christ. And so today, one of those steps that I think um, that I try to remind myself of all the time and that we can look at today is, what do you, you know, how do you do what you should do when you don't feel like doing it? All right. That's the idea that, that how do we obey God when we don't want to? And this narrative, I think, just gives us a great progression along some of these steps that Jesus takes us through to walk us through how do we obey when we don't feel like it. All right. So the first uh, point here is for us to be ready for Jesus to initiate next steps with you. Initiate next steps with you. So a couple questions here. I need the feedback, right? Uh, I like you guys to talk to me. It makes me feel better. Um, what did Jesus do before he was a preacher? Carpenter, very good. Okay, what did Peter do before following Jesus? Fisherman, very good. Okay, these are really softball ones here, okay? I'm trying to like, okay. Okay, Um, do you think that Peter was proud of his fishing ability? Yeah, professional fisherman, I'm guessing, yeah. Every fish he caught was that big, right? Um, How comfortable might a fisherman be as a preacher? Eh, it depends on the guy, right? Maybe not so much. And what would a carpenter know about fishing? Nah, maybe not so much, right? Unless it was a hobby or something like that. So uh, what we're doing here is we're we're seeing three different worlds kind of blend. So Jesus, you know, had spent time as a carpenter um, and then becoming a preacher. He's just at the start of his preaching ministry. Peter's been a fisherman his whole life. Um, I'm sure it was daddy's business. And in fact, part of what, what they say would happen back in Jewish society back there is, you know, every kid would be learning the Torah, learning the Old Testament. And then those that were very proficient in it would keep going. The other ones that weren't would go learn dad's trade. So Peter probably wasn't necessarily cream of the crop. In fact, none of the apostles were because Jesus didn't go after the, uh, you know, the religious superstars as most rabbis would have, find the best superstars to take their teaching out. Jesus goes and finds guys that couldn't hack it in the Torah school, <laughs> guys like Peter, and says, I want you guys to learn from me. So it's this collision of three worlds here, and Jesus wants to engage Peter, so he comes to Peter's world. So let's look at verse 1 through 3. This is Luke chapter 5. He says, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore, and then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Okay, they would push out from the shore a little bit because the water would serve as like a natural amplifier to the voice and more people could hear, plus people wouldn't crowd in on them. But I think it's, isn't it a little bit perhaps uh, presumptuous for Jesus to kind of just get in Peter's boat and say, hey, you know, I know you're just winding down your shift. Um, Can you pull out a little bit into the water for me? And, you know, Peter's not yet a disciple. He might not have known Jesus maybe all that well. I mean, prior to, you know, in the same, um, the chapter before, uh, Peter had seen Jesus heal a demon-possessed man, and then Jesus came to Peter's mother-in-law's house. She was ill, and so Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, and uh, Jesus, and Peter was still willing to be friends with him, even though he'd healed his mother-in-law, but, you know, sorry, just kidding, just kidding, see? Thank you, Danielle. Danielle's so good for laughing at jokes. Um, but, but what, what I love about this, though, is that, is that Jesus initiates with Peter, right? Jesus initiates, with he comes to his turf. He, he goes to Peter's world. And, and this is great because this is what Christmas is about, right? It's Jesus coming to our turf, the Son of God coming to earth, right? So, and he does that with us. So understand, when we're taking growth steps and stuff, a lot of this is because Jesus is coming into our turf and challenging us in certain areas. And so why do you, you know, do you think it's a coincidence then that, that Jesus chose Peter's vote? No, I don't. I mean, my friends and I used to kind of joke, we'd have a thing, we'd say, well, what are the chances of that? And then we'd say 100%. You know, if Jesus is doing something, what are the chances of it? Well, it's 100% because he's the one making it happen. So I think that Jesus uses our interests and gifts and relationships to become a part of our world. He wants to spark our interest. He wants to, us to stop what we're doing and come on along with what he's doing, but he does it in the, in the context of our own world, and so he comes to Peter in an area where Peter knows the most about, which is fishing. Now, we all know a lot about certain things, don't we? We've got certain things with our job um, or our hobbies or whatever things that we know a lot about. We were just cleaning out my dad's garage uh, just a, a couple months ago, and my dad was an old airplane mechanic, and so he's got all these little specialty tools and all this kind of stuff, and so my brother and I were going through the tools, just kind of deciding which ones we wanted, and there was this little, little box-end wrench, and it had been melted and bent a certain degree, angle, whatever, and I don't know, my brother and I go, Dad, what's this? And I had to write it down. My dad goes, oh, that's a wrench for a starter generation, generator on a 1968 PT6. Okay, ooh, can I have that? You know, no. But it was just, that's my dad, because he spent decades doing, fixing airplanes. And so that's his world. And so he could look at a wrench 50 years later and know exactly what wrench it's for and what plane and all that kind of stuff. And so that's his world. My dad can walk outside and hear a plane up in the air and go, oh, that's a such and such and such and such just by the noise, you know. But that's his world, right? Because he knows it. And don't we all have our things, we all have we all have things that we know about, and so uh, you know how it is. There are certain things that maybe you're not an expert in, but you have your things that you know a lot about, and you take you take pride in that, don't you? I mean, you, you know that you know those things, and and friends will come and they'll ask you about certain things like that. It's the world we live in, and so you have certain gut feelings about it. And so that's Peter's world about fishing. He knows fishing. What I love about this passage, too, is that you'll notice that Luke calls Jesus' words here the Word of God. Beginning of Jesus' ministry, and he's already saying this is the Word of God. So if Jesus is God, then, the assumption is here that he can presume all he wants. And if he's God, he's an expert in all things. And he knows more about fishing than the fishermen. So look at the second one here. Second point, this is where we're going to camp out a little bit and spend more time, but it's, and it's long, so stay with me, but it's be ready for Jesus to challenge you to take next steps in difficult areas to prove your faith. All right? Be ready for Jesus to challenge you to take next steps in difficult areas to prove your faith. So let's look at where the story goes. Verse 4. Uh, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help, and and they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. All right. So picture the scene here. Peter spends fishing all night. He comes back. He's frustrated, right? Because no fish equals no money. And maybe you've had that kind of frustration in your career where there's no power really over your livelihood, right? And we felt this way in different things where there's something that's extremely important to us, and we don't have the means to control how things happen in that thing. We did everything we're supposed to do, and just like we've always done it, and it's not happening this time. The results didn't come in. Why aren't the results coming in this time? And I imagine Peter's questioning himself, his routine. He hates that this whole thing is so unpredictable. And he's like, wait, usually if I do this and this, then I get this. And it's not happening right now. And he's tired physically, he says he worked hard all night. And there's Jesus wanting to go out fishing again. Now, did Jesus make it so that there were no fish caught all night just to get himself, Peter, ready for this encounter? What are the chances of that? 100%, I think. Um, Jesus makes us experience, and this is, I think this is very true, that Jesus will often make us experience frustration in the flesh, frustration into us doing the things that we think we know or the things that we're working really hard on so that we will be ready to experience his power in the spirit and the things that he's doing. Does that make sense? I think he frustrates us on the areas where we think we've got it all together, to bring us over here and say, no, 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 but le- let me show you my way over here and how, this, how much superior this is. Anyway, at when Jesus presumed uh, to get in the boat to teach, I think maybe that was an honor for Peter. I mean, he oh, the master's coming into my boat you know, to, to do that. And, but then after speaking, he wants to go out fishing again and go out into the deep water. And now it's an inconvenience, not so much of an honor anymore. And Jesus presumes even more. He comes in, he, he's like, I want to... I don't want to just control the, after, the, the morning here as you guys are. I want to control your boat now. Right? It's a little bit demanding. I mean, I could picture Peter kind of bristling at this a little bit. He's like, come on, Jesus, you know, I fish, you teach, stay in your lane. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm saying? And, and it's a little bit like, this is my realm, this is my expertise, this is my thing. I mean, you're a carpenter and preacher, and that's cute that you want to fish and everything, but you don't understand. I mean, we don't fish in the daytime. Now's not the time. And Peter, I mean, years of experience fishing on that very lake, and he knows, you know, you only catch fish at night when the, you know, the, the, the sun's not there, and so the fish will come up. It's not as hot near the surface. The bugs are on the surface, and so, you know, the fish will, again, I don't know fishing. This is just what they tell me. You know, whatever. The bugs will come, the, the fish will come up and eat the bugs on the surface, you know, and they don't like all the, the heat and the light and stuff like that, and so they can throw their nets out, which kind of scoop, you know, underneath the fish, and and bring the fish. John, am I getting this right? Okay, <laughs> whatever. So they, they scoop the fish. You do it at nighttime, right? And, but during the day, you don't fish during the day because it's warmer, it's brighter, and the fish go deeper, and they don't have the nets that go down that far. So he's frustrated, right? And, he's, and Peter's thinking, Jesus, come on, you know this, right? Maybe I don't know. Maybe you don't. Maybe you spent so much time in the woodshop that you don't know. I mean, how would a preacher know that? I want a preacher know that. <laughs> um, so anyway, so what it is, is Jesus then presumes on us in areas uh, where we want control and have expertise to show us that he knows all. That's your feeling. So Jesus will come into your life and initiate, not just initiate, but presume a little bit in an area where you want control, right? Where you think you've got it and you think you have expertise, but he's doing it to show us that he knows all, okay? So he asks us uh, to do the thing that we don't feel like doing. In Peter's case here, it's the fish again. It's tired from fishing all night, kind of cranky from not catching anything. Now it's a whole other message, and it's stuff that we've talked about in the past before, and we'll have to go deeper some other time. But I do think it's good to make a point here: is that I think that the things that we get most frustrated about are are the things that reveal our idols. See, if you don't care anything, if you don't care about something, it's not an idol, and you're not going to really get as frustrated about it. But if something doesn't go your way and your control, and you get super frustrated about it, that's probably a pretty good indication that that's an idol for you. It's an area where you have seized a little bit too much control and not given that thing over to God. And that's a whole other topic. But I think for me that Jesus waited until Peter was done tending the nets, cleaning the nets up from the night. To say, hey, let's go out again, almost on purpose, but it's just to increase the test. And I think that's what this was for Peter. It was a test. It's, it's a little bit like, hey, Peter, you know, will you be willing to obey me right here, even though you don't feel like it? Will you do what you don't want to do just because you should do it? And so, your other feeling here is that the biblical idea of the word test is not punishment. Punishment is more the idea of like wrath, you know, but, the, but really the, the idea of test is to prove to prove. Now, I didn't get this growing up. I had a very skewed idea of God growing up. Uh, I always thought, you know, any difficulty that I went through, it was some kind of punishment from God. I, it was really like a karma thing, right? That, that if I did bad, God was going to give me bad in return. Or if I did good, then I could expect something good to happen. And so when bad happened, I figured it was my fault. It must have been a result of my bad actions, right? And God doesn't work in karma, just so you know. That's not our, that's not our deal. That's somebody else's deal. But Uh, And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad we don't get karma? We don't want what we deserve, people. Okay? In our sin, I'm telling you, we do not want what we deserve. In fact, grace, God's grace is giving us what we don't deserve, which is fantastic. It's a much better deal. Okay. Um, But as I've grown, I've kind of understood God's heart a little bit more. I've realized that tests are not punishment. It's actually this idea of training and proving it's a training thing. I mean, wouldn't you agree that we rarely grow when things are easy? Think about the times where you've taken leaps ahead, steps ahead in your spiritual walk or your job or your education or things like that. It's because, typically, because we've struggled through something, it's been very difficult for us, and we've overcome it, we've made our mistakes along the way, but we, we overcome through some kind of difficulty, and it trains us and pushes us farther to get ready for a deeper test that's coming later. I mean, why do teachers in school give tests to students? To prove that they know the material. So the test pushes you to learn, to prove your mastery of it. And that's why I think Jesus presumes on our lives. He initiates with us. He enters into our life with this test. It's not to punish us. He's not trying to get back at Peter for something. He's pushing Peter to increase and prove his faith. It's a little bit like, okay, Peter, you know, you think you know more about fishing and I should just stick to preaching. Okay, all right. Well, believe me, I know everything about everything. So Peter, if you obey me right here, even though you don't feel like it, I'll show you exactly who I am. And this test will be for me to prove to you who I am and you to prove your faith to yourself and to me so even though Peter wasn't feeling it, he obeys anyway. I mean, don't you love what Peter says here? I mean, the guy, poor guy gets a little bit of a bad rap in scripture. Um, he's kind of got foot and mouth disease. You know, he he's always in the, says the right thing at the wrong time. Um, but, but here, you know, usually he's doing that. But here, this is great. Look at what he says. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Guys, okay, so when's the last time you told God? but because you say so, I'll do it. I mean, you could tell them all the reasons why you don't want to do it. That's okay. I mean, you know, Lord, come on, we, we've worked hard all night, haven't caught anything. Or, Lord, it's been a really hard day at work. I, I just don't feel like giving to my family right now. Or, or, Lord, I, I, I do all these other things. I mean, can I have just this one thing? Or Lord, I, I give here and I serve there and I sacrifice so much. Do you want to take this away from me too? I mean, you could... You can have the discussion with them, but if you end up saying, but because you say so, I'll do it. Man, that's powerful. See, it's not in the easy times when your faith is proven. Then That's not a test. It's easy to obey when it's easy, when you feel like it, but you prove obedience when you don't feel like it. And I think far too often, just as a culture, all of us, we, I'm sure we would admit it, we feel our way into actions. We, we, we won't do a lot of stuff unless we feel like it. And we do this, then we kind of spiritualize it with God. We're like, well, God, you know, I really could probably, should probably do this, but I don't really feel like it. I'm not sure it really honors you if I do it, even though my heart's not in it. So I'm just not going to do it. Wouldn't the Lord be honored if you say, Honest God, I'll tell you what, dude, my heart is not in it, but I'll do it anyway. See, that to me honors him way more than waiting for your heart to catch up and say, you know, oh, my heart's in it now. Now I'll do that good thing, that right thing. I just think that, um, you know, we don't teach our kids that way. You know, we teach our kids, no, you act your way into a feeling. You don't feel your way into an action. Uh, I mean, how many times in life would it go better for us if we disciplined ourselves, acted first, and then waited for the feelings? If we know something's right, we do it even when we don't feel like it. I mean, how many of you are going to feel like going to work tomorrow? Yeah. How many of your kids are going to feel like going to school tomorrow? Spring out of bed. All right, school's back in. No, I don't think that usually happens on a Mondays. Um, how many of you want to do dishes tonight? How many of you feel like exercising, eating healthy, and reading your Bible? I mean, right? I mean, there's, I'm surely some of you didn't feel like coming to church today. It's all right. I don't always feel like coming to church. It's my job. I get paid to be here. Right? But, but here's the thing. I mean, how often, how often do we, though sometimes, and you know this, do we obey because it's right or because we kind of have to, you know, but how often do we do the right thing and then we get into it and then our feelings kind of come? I, I know there's been times where you've gone to work, you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, and you don't want to go to work, but you get there and you're like, okay, well, good. I'm getting into this project. I'm doing this thing. Oh, hey, Joe, or whatever, whatever. You know what I'm saying? And you enjoy being there. You get to school, and you get glad you came, or you get time with your kids, or you're getting healthy and exercising, you're reading your Bible, you're like, I'm so glad I did that. You see, if we always waited to feel it first, we might never do anything. And I just think if we act first, then many times the feelings come after that, and we're glad we did. And Tuesdays are like this for me. Um... Here's Darcy, Darcy does our, he's our commander for Awana. I hope you appreciate Darcy. He's fantastic, but for our Awana program, yeah. Uh, yeah, you could totally get Darcy at hand. Okay, but anyway, but I think about it, like, because Darcy's so faithful, but on Tuesdays, it's like a long day of meetings and stuff like that, and usually about five o'clock, I'm like kind of winding down, you know, and I'm ready to like, you know, clean up and, and, and get, be done with the whole thing. I'm not really feeling it. and like, oh, okay, I gotta stay tonight, you know. But then, like six o'clock, Putting on my little IWanda shirt, got my little red tassels up here, got my little name tag, got my Iwana bucks tucked in, I'm ready to go, you know, and then my little buddies come walking in the door, and I'm like, hey, you know, and then I'm totally into it. I love, you know, I love being there. But it's just one of those things where you have to act your way into a feeling. And you know what's happening when you do that? Is you're putting yourself under his authority. You're saying, God, I understand and I believe that your word is true. I believe that what you said and what you desire for me to do is greater than my feelings and I'm trusting that it's right for me even if I don't see it initially. And I'm saying, Jesus, you know more about my life than I do. And you have rule and reign over every part of my life. I mean, let me ask you, is there an area where you've blocked off Jesus because you think you know more about yourself than he knows about you? Now, for some of you this morning, that might be a baby step that you need to take. I mean, that's a big old baby step, (laughs) you know, to give him the the authority in all areas of your life because he's God and he knows more. But some of you I know are right there. You've been putting God off for a long time. And you've you've been waiting to like kind of take that final little step and say, okay, God, I will indeed give you every part of my life. But man, can I encourage you please to do that? I mean, and, and if that's hard for you to think about that, um, understand you're, you're coming to the arms of a loving father when you take that step, all right? Think of this. Think of the little baby step thing here. Um, imagine many of your parents, and you remember when your kids were taking their first steps, you know? And, and so imagine, you know, you got a little, little girl and she's hanging on to the coffee table, you know? And you're like, come on. Come on, you know, and, you know, it's that kind of thing, right? And, and imagine the little baby, and she goes, uh, and she takes that step, and then, boom, falls on her diaper, right? Imagine then the parents going, oh, my gosh, get up! Do it again! Get it right this time! And then she uh, does it again. Look, she fell again! Forget it. This is worthless. For, you'll never walk. You are such a disappointment. Right? I mean, who does? Nobody does that. No, that's what happens, right? No, it's cameras out. It's roll tape. It's one little step. Hold on to the coffee table. Fall down. Yeah, hands you cheers and <laughs> kisses and posting videos and calling grandma. It's all that stuff, right? And here's the thing. And because as parents, you know that one little step is the precursor to many more little steps, Right? to training her to taking little steps on her own, to so giving baby confidence to take another bigger step next time. You're tr- she's training her muscles to replicate the walking motion, right? And so that's what you're looking for. I mean, what do they say? You spend the first two years telling them tell to stand up and, or talk and walk, and then the next 16 years telling them to sit down and shut up, right? <laughs> um, no, but... but Today, when you, here's the thing. Today, when you follow God, even though you're not feeling like it, you're building your obedience muscle, right? And you're training yourself to replicate with muscle memory in your spirit this idea of doing it again, then the next time you don't feel like it. And the whole time, there's this joyful father there, just delighting in his children, taking steps toward him. That's the picture. So small acts of obedience open the door to build habits to bigger areas of obedience. And if you, you know this, if you fudge on the small acts of obedience, then there's no muscle to develop it when the bigger acts come. I mean, Peter needed to go fishing again, right there. So that in the same passage, later on that day, he would be ready to follow Jesus with his whole life. And then later in his life, be ready to die for Jesus. The discipline and habits in small areas of obedience when nobody sees just to please your father become this reflex next time to obey when you don't feel like it and act your way into a feeling. Let's look at the third point here. Be ready for Jesus to use next steps to reveal his nature and our calling. His nature, our calling. So Peter's view of God got much bigger as he's doing all this, right? And so Jesus doesn't, he realizes here, okay, Jesus doesn't just know about carpentry and preaching. He actually knows um, everything, and he knows more about fishing than even I do. So here's verse eight. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions uh, were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. You know, they say the most important thing about you, it's an old quote from A.W. Tozer. He said, The most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God. And here's the thing. I fully believe this. If you have a large view of God, if you understand God's holiness, his perfection, his transcendence, his eternal nature, his omniscience, uh, it, if you have this massive, big view of God, it autom- almost automatically leads to a smaller view of yourself in the sense that you just, you're, you're just you're thinking of him. I'm not thinking that you think little of yourself. It's not that. It's just you, 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 you don't think of yourself as much. But I think if you have a large view of yourself, and it's a little inflated about yourself, then it almost automatically gives you a smaller view of God. See, I think when, when God reveals himself to you and you see him as he is, as Peter is seeing right here, his holiness, his strength, is, and then what happens, almost a natural reaction is you see your own sinfulness. And when you see your own sinfulness, you're likely to respond like Jesus, like Peter did, say, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And it, it's the first step in worshiping. And so Peter got this large view of Jesus as God, and he got a smaller view of himself because in his sin, in our sin, it's all over Scripture, when people come into God's presence, they can't stand in God's presence because of their own sin. I mean, have you ever been so broken by your sin that you wanted to flee God's holiness? Go away from me, Lord. But you can't stay there. You don't want to stay there. Because if you think um, if you think that you're a little less than God, and this is what I think happens so many times, is that um, God's here, he's he's good, he's, he's up there, but we're like here, you know, we're just a little bit less, you know. It's like I'm a good guy, man, or I I've I got it together, I'm I'm solid, you know. And the problem is, what what we've inflated our own view of ourselves and, and deflated God. We need to inflate God a little bit more, right? Because he is so much greater than our minds could even begin to imagine. And when we see his perfection, how great he is, and it, it, it brings us down here in our sin and we're a little bit more down here and we realize how, you know, how little we are. And we would fall at his feet then and say, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Because if you end up being about like right here, the problem is you're in danger of just liking Jesus. You know, thumbs up to Jesus. I'm a fan, he's my homeboy, whatever okay? Because if you just like Jesus, then you're likely not to worship him, and you're likely not to have him as your savior. Because a lot of times people will say, well, I can have Jesus as my, some people actually believe this, like that, you know, I can have Jesus as my savior, and then later on make him my Lord. Um, Is there, do you see a problem with that? Well, I do. Um, First one is, You don't make him. He is Savior and Lord, okay? You can accept it or not. Um, But the idea is if uh, some people wanted the idea of, I want to make him my Savior so that I, I can call myself a Christian and I can be forgiven, I can know that I'm going to go to heaven, and then at some point later in my life, I'll get everything straightened out and then I'll finally give him control of these other areas of my life that I'm holding on to. Well, it doesn't work that way. Um, In fact, maybe the baby step you need to take is to, again, just acknowledge him as Lord and Savior and give him access to every part of your life. Because I think if you do that, if you were to separate the Lord and Savior or just like Jesus, then um, you have an incorrect view of him. You have not understood him the way he is. And that's, again, that's what we've said over the Christmas Eve services is that 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 makes you say you need to read your Bible more. You need to understand who he is. We're doing the NT90. The, we're you know, trying to read the New Testament in the first 90 days of the year and, and do that. We have a plan for you, so do that. Let's, because you have to get to know him better. And then another mistake that we make sometimes, too, is that we think that we need to get rid of all of our sin. Okay, well, then I'll make him Savior and Lord, and I'll get myself all cleaned up, and then I'll come to him. Right? And, and I'm going to, uh, you know, it, it, I, I can't come to God with my mess and so I got to kind of clean some of this up and then I'll come and maybe God will then accept me, right? Well, here's the thing baby step next is stop trying to work to make yourself acceptable to God. That's what His grace does. So the, the fill in, the last fill in there is, is that God likes to catch His fish before He cleans them. Okay? You know, you don't have to clean yourself up before coming to Him, He, you, he will clean you. That's His job. You allow Him to. to Be your Savior, all right? That's the important part. When you take the steps, He's a loving Father waiting for you. So now imagine the the range here of Peter's emotions. If you go back to the scene here, I always think about the whole thing in in total here. Think about uh, Peter's emotions. He's frustrated at first because there's no fish and he's cleaning the nets. Then he's kind of curious maybe and hearing some of the words that Jesus says. Then he has this, a little bit, of maybe, of an obligation feel. Okay, we'll go out in the boat again, Jesus. And then he's excited over the catch of fish, this massive catch of fish. And then he's afraid, like, oh no, Jesus is God, that's scary. And then he worships him. He said, "Yes, he go away from me, Lord," but he doesn't stay there. It's not like Jesus stays. Doesn't see, Jesus doesn't go away from him? Jesus stays right there and says, "Ah, oh, Peter, that's good. You're finally seeing me for who I am. Now let me show you what I've got for you." You're not going to catch fish anymore. You're going to catch men. Verse 5, Peter calls him master. But in verse 8, as he's worshiping him, he calls him Lord. Verse 5, Luke calls um, Peter by his old name, Simon. In verse 8, as he's worshiping, he calls him by his new name, Simon Peter. Peter's the name that Jesus gave him. So everything is changing for Peter just right here. And, and Jesus just like fillets his soul. <laughs> It just, like, guts him right there, you know, Uh, just like one of those fish. He says, I will be your Savior, Peter. I'm going to rip this pride out, though, all right? I'm going to rip out this other area that you're kind of holding on to over here that you don't think I should have authority over, but I'm going to pull that out, too, all right? And then I'm going to call you to something great. See, obedience, when you don't feel like it, I think opens the door to seeing God as he truly is. Look at John 14, 21. It says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And look at this, and I too will love them and show myself to them. That's awesome. He said, I will show, if you obey and love me, I will show myself to you. So Jesus calls Peter to do something amazing. The very thing that he had created Peter to do, not the fishing was bad, it's just better. So he tells Peter his true identity. And so the guys get back to shore and they leave everything. All their relationships, goals, everything. They just leave it there to follow Jesus. And then Peter becomes the first one to go out and reach the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. And he was willing to be crucified upside down for his belief in Christ. You see, when we realize that Jesus knows more about our life than we do, he knows what makes us happy. He knows what fulfills us. He knows what we were created for. And when we learn to obey, even when we don't feel like it, and we learn to say, but because you said so, I'll do it. Then we'll prove our faith. And Jesus will reveal himself as he is in all these new ways. And we'll worship him. And we'll live out our calling. And then we'll go out and we'll catch people for God. That's way better than a 20-inch red grouper. Am I right? Yeah. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, again, just for your love for us. Lord, we, we praise you for um, your goodness and grace. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to clean ourselves up first, that we just come to you and we allow you to change us and make us the people that we're supposed to be. God, um, I pray that there, if there are some here, Lord, that are maybe on the fence, maybe they've been on the fence for a while, that just need to take that last step and just acknowledge that you are truly Lord and Savior. Give them access to every part of their life, God, that they can experience the true freedom that you give. Lord, if that's the case for some here, I pray that they would do that today. Lord, start the year off right and just give every part of their life to you that they can know what true freedom in Christ is all about. So we love you today, God. Thank you for all that you've done. It's in your name we pray.